welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I continue my conversation with Anne Gould Rudy about the role of the health coach and why it's the missing link in the healthcare team. If you missed part one of this series, please go back to episode nine to hear the beginning of our conversation together. Yeah, the other thing I kind of like about you know coaching is you know in the first the first appointment we spend a lot of time talking about the vision, like where do you want to be? What are we trying to get you to work towards? And then all of those goals and all the things we're trying to change is like, okay, we're doing this because you want this. It's related to what you decided you want as again, as opposed to, you know, the doctor who's making this arbitrary decision as to what you want. Cause there, there are people who, again, looking from the value standpoint, I might value something very different than the person in front of me. Like for me, it may be, I want, you know, I want the person to walk. I'm a physical therapist. That's what I do. I help people relearn how to walk or walk better or have better balance and all the things. But the person in front of me may be like, I value traveling. So maybe they need a wheelchair. Maybe we need to figure out how do we get a wheelchair that you can, you know, travel with easily and, you know, make sure that they're able to, they have a caregiver that can help them get it in and out of a car and all of those things. So, you know, again, it's really so person-centered, you know, just makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. It's funny you bring up visioning. So yesterday I did a visioning exercise and sometimes visioning can be really scary in a way when you realize there's a big gap from where you are currently or, you know, it's going to require a lot of change to come through. So anyway, I was having a little bit of that almost stress reaction to it yesterday, but like excited stress. And then part of it was, you know, looking a certain way and being healthy and vibrant. And today I was standing um, in the cafeteria for lunch and looking around, trying to figure out what to eat and like the salad bar never looks all that appealing to me. And I was looking at some of these other options and I usually try to stay away from gluten and there were all these yummy looking like pizzas and pastas. And I didn't at the time connect it back to that visioning exercise, but I had this like little internal dialogue going of, okay, like what you eat today does matter for how you want to be in the future. And I ended up making that salad, but, you know, if someone had told me to do it, I don't think it would have had the same impact as me, you know, really taking the time to envision and plan out my life. Um, In the group where I was doing the visioning with yesterday, we even talked about how, people spend more time planning a vacation than they do 
planning their own life. And I think coaching is a tool to very intentionally plan your life. So you can get the outcomes and the results you desire. And it doesn't just happen to you and you don't have to just try to like survive your life, but you know, actually, actually live it yes. and have a choice in it. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think it's those, it's really just figuring everyone wants something different and everyone values something different. And, you know, the coaching really focuses on what does that person want? And that is going to look individual to each person. So I apparently need to do that vision as well, because I have been not eating well the past week. And that is definitely something I could be doing better at, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because just last week I was having a conversation with um, a client and family members. And this is someone who overall has aged quite well and lived long into life. And he has one family member telling him, oh, don't worry about what you eat. Just enjoy your life. And then he has gained some weight. And so I posed a question to him that there's different types of enjoyment. There's one enjoyment that comes from not worrying about a diet and just eating whatever you want and having that pleasure in food. But there's another enjoyment that comes from fitting into your clothes and moving around freely and, um, you know, not worrying about some of those other consequences. And I left it up to him to choose what, you know, what was real enjoyment for him. And I don't think that's a conversation that happens very often. People will assume what's enjoyable for another person or what's meaningful, but we really just don't know until we ask. Yeah, actually, I that makes me another book that I read that really changed my perspective on kind of how I look at my practice and, and my patients um, is Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And he talks about just this. And, you know, he um, talks about, and it's been a long time, so I probably won't remember exactly what it was, but there was a, you know, kind of a nursing home setting where in a lot of nursing homes, people are told they can't walk around because they're a fall risk and they have to use chairs and all the things, but they, you know, and they have to take their insulin at this time and they have to do this and they have to do that. And he said, you know, some people just want to live their lives and they, you know, what happens happens and they don't care if they fall or, you know, they want to eat what they want to eat and not worry about their sugars and all the things. And he's like, you know, we, at, you know, medically, we kind of force people into these boxes of you need to do X, Y, and Z, but they're not, then they're not getting the quality of life that they want. Yeah, I saw a post that was like, we'll keep you safe, but kill your spirit or something in the, in that context. And it was related to dementia care. And I think it mm-hmm. really gets highlighted there where there's so much effort at safety in the sense of, you know, not falling, not burning yourself, cooking, not wandering off and getting lost, not messing up medications or something like that, which are all very valid safety concerns. Um, But there's a different risk that comes with completely um, 
medicalizing someone, if that's even a word or, um, that was the exact word I was thinking of, (laughs) you know, or just restricting them so much that they start to lose their spirit or their humanity. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I think, you know, that book really definitely changed my perspective in a way that I hadn't really thought about up to that point. And again, it really got me thinking about the language that I use with people and how I structure my questions and what I focus on with people. Like, you know, what's, you know, it's great if it's important to me, but I'm not the one, you know, I have lived with this person for, you know, a number of hours over the course of weeks, they've lived with themselves for a lot longer. So it needs to be about them. Yeah, definitely. And I think that can be a challenging shift, um, both for the person we're working with and their family too. I know I used, I had some of these tendencies before actually going through the coaching training, but I would frustrate some of my patients by asking these questions and trying to figure out what they wanted to do and what their goals were and et cetera, et cetera. And they, some of them were frustrated saying, you know, you're the expert. I came to you. You need to tell me what's wrong with me and tell me what to do. So I think there's some of that, that, you know, we've been so conditioned, especially probably people who are older than us have been very conditioned into a a hierarchical medical model and, you know, not trusting your own body and being told by someone outside of you what's right. And then I also see um, very well-intentioned family members thinking they know what's best for the person, you know, the person who's in the patient role at that time. And then Sometimes they get frustrated with me too when I ask too many questions and don't look like I'm doing enough with the person. But then, you know, it can take a little while to get the buy-in. But even with those cases, I've seen more sustainable outcomes from a coaching perspective than from a just giving directions approach. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen that with your population as well? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, as you kind of, it's like drawing the fine line. Well, yes, I might be the expert in the movement patterns and kind of diagnosing that and kind of what will help. But as we just said, like, I'm not the expert in your body. Like you, you still know what's going on inside. And I'll use that patient, that line with patients. They'll say, you know, look, I don't know your body. I can't tell you what is right and what is wrong. I need, we need to have a two-way conversation about this. Like you need to let me know what's going on because, you know, I don't want to give you things that don't feel right. You know, and there's always, I can always tweak it. I can make it work. We can come up with another way, but if we're not having that, that dialogue, then I'm working blind. Yeah. And I find, you know, in working with someone, for example, immediately post stroke, I think it makes more sense to, for me to carry more of the expert guiding role as in that very narrow time frame where 
I know there are certain things that need to be done to maximize recovery. Um, and then not neglecting what the patient wants or needs, but I find, you know, those acute and subacute times, which are really what the medical model does quite well is when we can take on that role. But when we're in the chronic condition, you know, this, this is my life now. I find that, you know, the medical model doesn't work so well and the coaching really does work quite beautifully. Yeah. And I think it's definitely really, you know, one of the things we should be doing even before we start is really helping people assess of, is this the right time for coaching? Because it's not right for everyone at every time and every stage. So, you know, that's one of the things we should be doing before we even have that conversation is like figure out, are you ready for this? Do you understand what this entails? Because as you said before, I think, you know, it's such a different mindset for the person you're, you know, the coach is working with too, because they are used to the medical model where they're told do X, Y, and Z, you know, in coaching, we're saying, okay, you tell me what you're going to do and commit to, and then you're responsible for committing to it. I'm you know, I'm helping you keep track of it and I'm helping to keep you accountable, but my role is not to make this better or make it work. It's, it's your, this is your thing. Yeah, it is such a shift. And I think even for my, myself, like fully buying into this and driving my career towards it, it's still hard for me at times. And I still myself, like, you know, when I, it can look like the coach isn't doing a lot because, you know, they're not giving directions. They're not always coming from this place of knowledge, expertise, or performing a procedure. So then I think I don't need a coach, even though I've just <laughs> gone through a whole, you know, whole experience of benefiting from it. Um, but there really is a lot of training needed to coach well and you know the changes that happen even with you as the person being coached doing them make it well worth the investment in the long term yeah absolutely again because it's coming from an organic place for for the person who's being coached like mm -hmm. it's it's important to them it's what they want to do so i think it just makes it you know, more, more valuable to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I should mention that there's not like a one definition of coaching and with it being currently being an unregulated field, the type of coaching that Anne and I are talking about comes from um, the, oh gosh, what's the name of that board? There's a board of health and wellness coaches. Oh. There's a national board for health and wellness coaches, and there's an international coaching group too that align with these definitions that we're using. But there are a lot of people now calling themselves coaches who may not be doing exactly what we described. So if you're looking for coaching in the way we've described, I would just make sure you vet the person that you're looking into to make sure 
it's going to be this type of client-led coaching and not personal training or mentoring or there there are lots of other ways that people are doing this right now yeah so it's the national board for health and wellness coaching there they, it is. Uh, yes <laughs> yes and they um they kind of accredit various programs so there's a bunch of programs that people can go through and the one that um, you and i went through was one of those accredited programs um and then when you there is a um certification that that people can take after they've done some coaching after they've completed the program so you know we were we were trained in in the way that that accredited program um structures the coaching yeah which i have found to be valuable just to make sure i'm doing it correctly i do have probably a pattern of over certifying myself, but I know Anne can relate to. We've both done, yes. <laughs> um, you know, advanced certifications within the field of PT with Anne doing her neuroclinical specialist. I've done the geriatric clinical specialist. There's a lot of overlap between those two certifications and now the coaching one. But I think for me and Anne, you can chime in to having. I like to know that I'm well prepared to do what I say I'm going to do. And for something like this, where it is really important, and I think it's the future of healthcare, I found going through that program to be valuable. And at what, I mean, it was no small program. It wasn't a weekend course. It, I spent about a year doing it. You did it more in I was, sprints. But, well, I was yeah. stuck at home. So yeah. I had yeah. a little more time on my hands to kind of get through the modules. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, it took me six months. Um, and that was pretty much not full time. But I, you know, I did a module a week, which was a solid, you know, six to eight hours of work a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, as you said, I think you know, had I not done this program, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel confident in doing it one, but I also don't think I would do it well. I, you know, we also had, um, as part of the program where we went to three kind of retreats where we actually practiced the skills with people. And I think that was really valuable, um, to get some, you know, to one, just get used to asking the questions, asking for feedback and really getting used to silence. Cause I think that's something again, and in, in medicine, we don't allow people to have silence to, to fill the space with what they want to say. So I think that, you know, learning to get more comfortable with silence and allow for it has been very helpful, not just in, you know, coaching, but when I do, um, I, you know, I still have physical therapy jobs that I do. And when I'm in those settings, I have learned to say less, less mm -hmm. is more. Yeah, it's interesting. There is a study in the primary care setting and patients were only allowed to speak 11 seconds before the first interruption, which it's, you know, no wonder things don't get said in appointments or not much gets accomplished. Um, if that, yeah. that's how we're starting off. Um, and I'm, yeah, it's definitely something, you know, even before the coaching, I kind of, I'd read that study as well and had really spent time trying to step back and, you know, give people the space to tell their story. And 
if I speak and interrupt them, it's to ask clarifying questions about their story, not to stop them from mm-hmm. telling their story. Yeah. Um, so I have gotten better at, you know, really making sure I'm letting people speak and tell me their story and really only making sure that I am clear about their story before I then add my input. Yeah. And I think that kind of sums up pretty much all of what we really learned skill-wise, which is self-regulation to allow it to be about the other person. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of it. Yeah. It was learning how to how to regulate yourself and let people let people think, you know, shine, let the the other person shine. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any big takeaways from but training as a coach or now practicing as a coach that you'd like to end with? Um, yeah, I think, I think I've always known that listening is hugely important. I think that was something I recognized early on, but having done the coaching, I, you know, it was just like we were just talking about, it's not just listening, but giving people space and silence to, to allow their story because, you know, especially with what we do, um, it's not easy to talk about all the time. Like sometimes you really do need to process and you need time to, to kind of come up with, you know, really what, where you are. So I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from a coaching standpoint is really learning to not just listen, but give the space that people need. Yeah. It's such a big shift. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me on top of that, it was really learning and integrating that I can't fix people, that they can heal themselves. And that really, that was a really hard lesson to learn, but it also took so much burden off of me. And I think it saved my career in many ways from burnout and, um, you know, just leaving healthcare eventually could have been in my future. If I had kept thinking it was my personal responsibility to fix everyone's problems all the time. Yeah. I think just like kind of along those lines. Now I see my role as helping to empower them to figure out their problems and then help them figure out what those fixes are, like really the empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great note to go out on. It's really, you know, about our clients and about their empowerment, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So, Anne, if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what is the best way to reach you or find you? Yeah. So I have a website. My business is Envision Physical Therapy and Wellness. Um, My website is www.envisionptw.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Those are probably the the email is probably the best way to find me right now. So my email is um, on the website. You can, there's a, you can click and send me an email through the website. 
And Anne is the host of the Parkinson's Vitality Project podcast, which is yes. very much worth a listen, especially if you're in the Parkinson's world. And I have done a few episodes with her on that podcast as well. Yes. And it's taken, it's kind of had a lot of hiatuses this year just with life, but I am hoping to really commit to bringing it back next year and being more regular in, you know, posting and, you know, helping people. It's really about, you know, what can you do? Just kind of like we're talking about the coaching, like what are those things that you can do to just really promote wellness in your life? Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, even though there's not a new episode right now, there are a lot of great episodes that she's already recorded. And Anne and I practice our coaching skills with each other as we grow our our businesses and our podcasts about what can we reasonably do. And so yes. she's helped me make this podcast a reality. And, um, you know, she's learning, coming back to what's going to be sustainable for her. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anne. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. The new year is officially underway and it's the perfect time to start thinking about your vision for what you would like 2022 to look like for you and who you would like to be at this time next year. If you'd like a little help with this process, head over to carolinemorris.com slash vision for a free visioning exercise you can do to help you figure out who you want to be this time next year. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love, and gratitude, Caroline.